So, all right. Yeah. Great. It's been a while. It's been it's been a while. <laughs> Does anyone think about stained anymore? <laughs> no. I don't get it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performances in Edmonton. I'm Fonda. And I'm Paul. And we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered, powered by, by ATB. Fonda, what's going on? Um, I don't know. I feel like like I've just been drenched for forty days. There's there's it's either raining or just like insanely hot. So Yeah, it's really really either or. Yeah. How was the weather in Toronto? Um I was drenched in a different way in that that muggy heat. Oh um, god. I haven't been to Toronto um in the summer in a long time. And so it was a, it was a reminder of the the uh, humidity that we don't often experience in Alberta, and how how that affects your summer travels and, and hangs. Yeah, it can be well, it it can be oppressive. I find that type of heat. <laughs> yeah, there was two days when I just like my two to first two days there, I just didn't really sleep because it was like too hot to figure out. Like window open, sheets off the bed, was still just like sweating. Yeah. Anyway. If there's no air conditioning, you're just you're just hooped. <laughs> and hooped we were. Um, great. What's uh what's what's going on here? Yeah, I missed all the rain, I guess. Yeah, well it's it's windy today, mm-hmm. but um there will be more rain, I promise, and more sunshine, hopefully. Um and yes, the Citadel is running um their first ever sort of foray into summer programming. Yeah, which is uh Ring of Fire. The uh, a musical um, or music uh, infused uh, piece about Johnny Cash. Yes, yes, and um, I'm I'm seeing that uh, that with my dear sister. So um, we will throw to that review. Um, well, how about right now? Sure. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Fonda. You're not Raina. I am not Raina. Raina being my sister, who sadly actually couldn't make the show at the last minute. So so Andrew came. I hope that's okay for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what did we see? Uh, so we saw uh, Ring of Fire, which was a sort of tribute to Johnny Cash uh, show at the Citadel. Yeah, it's the first time the Citadel has uh, has forayed into summer programming. I think other than their um, other than the sort of school that they run. Um, so yeah, this was uh, it was kind of an interesting experiment i guess it's definitely definitely a departure from the citadel's regular fodder i think yeah uh so if you're expecting to go see a play about johnny cash um that's not where you're going to find when you walk into the citadel and take your seats in the mclab there uh it is very much a whole song catalog sort of just strung together loosely with uh, a little bit of a narrative there's not a lot of talking parts uh there's a few that sort of bridge one song to another and while the actors on stage are playing out uh, sort of key or large milestones and moments in Johnny Cash's life and career uh, starting way back uh, when he was just a little kid. Yeah, they sort of use the the content or, or the lyrics in Johnny Cash's songs to um, to to move a bit of a narrative about Johnny's life um, and the people in his life as well. What was what? And I think that I've I've heard this sort of term jukebox musical, where it's it, the music is all pre-existing. Um, they kind of throw it together and try and parse parse a narrative out of it and it i mean it, it, it worked in that way but it was not there there wasn't like character development per se or even 
that much dialogue. It was really just song after song kind of with um, tableaus of what what the lyrics in that song could have looked like in terms of what Johnny's what was happening in Johnny's life at the time. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, for instance, uh, when they performed the song Five Feet High and Rising, uh, that was a song that Johnny Cash wrote, uh, inspired by the time when his family had moved on to a New Deal farm in Arkansas uh, after the Great Depression. Uh, and these farms were places that the government provided to families uh, who had sort of lost everything and said, you can farm this land, uh, you know, free of charge until the crops come in and then you can pay, you know, your rent or however that worked. Uh, but then there was this giant flood uh, that came and uh, actually brought a whole bunch of great topsoil uh, to the farm, uh, which helped, you know, the, the family get back on their feet and stuff. So, you know, that song definitely tied right into a real experience of Johnny Cash's life. Uh, and so when they were performing this song, you know, they're in rain gear and, mm. you know, uh, really telling that story uh, through just the, the lyrics of the song. Yeah, and the and the rest of the cast that's there, there it's a cast of six. Um, the rest of the cast is also sort of like doubling as people in in Johnny Cash's life. So in that song in particular, and actually through a lot of the um, the first half of the first act, um, uh, Julian Arnold is playing Johnny's dad, and um, Quinn Dooley is playing Johnny's mom. And they're t- and I, I really actually quite liked the first few songs in the beginning of the show. They had all this kind of like a very pastoral hymnal kind of like like you know like so down south church feel to them and they're just like really beautiful harmonies the singing was great i have to i want to point out queen dooley's performance she played all of the female characters in the show um and and numerous instruments as well um piano she was on the fiddle or the violin and um and guitar at one point as well and just like totally for me kind of stole the show a little bit um but yeah I, i i did really like those first i would say like five or six songs um, in the highways was another one that had that really kind of like nice southern feel to it, and just really appreciated the um, the vocal work with with the cast in that. Yeah, uh, so often they would sort of bridge songs that. Um, either Johnny Cash wrote or was very well known for uh, even just some some hymns uh, and some nice gospel music, uh, which is like, you know, a nice uh, callback to uh, that side of Johnny Cash's, you know, life and family life. They were, uh, I believe, quite religious uh, in those early days. Yeah, totally. And then you kind of got like the progression of as um, as they get to sort of like the Grand Ole Opry days, um, there's some there, there's a little bit more um, lightness and comic relief. I have <laughs> got to point out that one song that they did called the dirty old egg sucking dog <laughs> yeah by jack h clement yeah uh that was pretty hilarious and and who was singing that it was julian arnold and uh i, I think it was lawrence libor so lawrence libor and um uh jonas Chandel um both doubled as johnny uh lauren libor played johnny as a younger man um and lawrence um uh, or I'm sorry, Jonas came more in as the um, as like the older Johnny, the man in black. And he was sort of like the arching narrator through uh, like the overarching narrator throughout the show. Yeah, he would sort of be wandering around the edge of the stage, sort of the periphery of the scenes going on, kind of observing almost as if he was looking 
back on his life into these scenes uh, that were being portrayed by the other actors. Uh, and then every once in a while, he'd step up on stage and kind of interject. Um, and this is kind of the only lines of dialogue that you would you found in, in the show is when he would come and sort of interject or make an, uh, an observation about uh, something that, that had happened in, in one of the during one of the songs. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I found kind of interesting about that narration is that it didn't, it didn't actually really connect to the song lyrically or anything. Even there was just sort of a like throwing up of, you know, these kinds of things are happening. Like in the second act, he, um, you know, Johnny's been touring and things like that. And he gets into taking, you know, uppers basically to, to keep his performance level at peak. Um, And, you know, they're talking, he kind of the man in black sort of is like leaning towards talking about addiction, but then you just kind of actually see it play out um, on on the stage instead of uh, instead of actually having it illustrated in any kind of you know writing. <laughs> yeah, essentially, it's, uh, Lawrence Lieber as young Johnny Cash, you know, with his bottle of Dexedrine or whatever he was uh, chowing down back in those days. Um, but what did you think about uh, Lawrence and Jonas's portrayals of Johnny Cash? Well, I think that um, uh, Lawrence Lieber as the younger Johnny Cash didn't really have much of a physical re- resemblance to Cash at all. Um, so, so I think he was a little bit. Um, th- there was a little more for him to a little more distance for him to go in terms of like getting that Cash feel. You know, that sort of like somber brooding country darkness um but i think he did a good job yeah like he especially in those in the funnier um lighter parts like we'll go back to dirty old egg second dog <laughs> um you know that was he uh yeah I, th- I feel like that was kind of pulled off well um and when it came down to jonas shandell's performance um he he's in the program it lists him more as a musician and that's sort of his that's kind of his career he had a really deep gravelly voice like it kind of he did get that tone of it and the audience really loved him um so i think that you know i think that they did a fine job of doing the songs you know like it sounded like a johnny cash song because it was johnny cash song and he sounds like johnny cash um in terms of you know was it like an incredible sterling award winning you know like uh heavy lifting acting performance no no there wasn't there wasn't much in this in this show that was that that would call for that Um, there's also this other song in the show called Delia's Gone, which, uh, is written by Johnny Cash. Um, you know, I think this is one of these songs that could probably just be retired. <laughs> uh, you know, it's about, uh, you know, this guy murdering, um, this woman named Delia and who's, who's problematic. Cause she's just like bossy or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, the song maybe at one time was like probably seen as like a comedic song, um, but there's people that were shouting boo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, uh, it was going on, and um, yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to flag that. It's like, you know, do we really need to produce Taming of the Shrew anymore? Yeah. Do we need to sing Delia's Gone anymore? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's sort of it. It was sort of like, um, oh, this is maybe a little tone deaf to continue including this song. Um, but 
I mean, I, I will point out that Daniel Williston did it really well. Um, the the oh, yeah, the performer executed well. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He's he's saying it well, and he. I mean, I, you know, half the audience was really chuckling at it. Um, probably mostly the older men <laughs> in the audience, um, who for whom you know didn't cringe at what was. You know, actually, quite, quite like a violent and mean song towards towards this woman. Um, and, but th- to set it up, though, it's being sung um, in a prison. Uh, Johnny Cash had a um, a really famous album that was recorded in. I want to say Monsanto, but that's not the right. That was not the name of the prison. It was <laughs> anyway. There was a name of this album. Um, but yeah, he he got a lot of the songs that were recorded on it got quite famous and he recorded it at this prison. Um, and there was another song kind of along with that scene, Folsom Prison. That's what I was looking for. Folsom Prison Blues. Um, and uh, yeah, so to contextualize the song Delia is Gone is, is being sung by a criminal, you know, it, it, the character of a criminal. Um, so in, in that way, I guess... You, it fit into the narrative of what was what they were kind of setting up there. But at the same time, yeah, I felt like I was just like, you didn't need to have this song. It didn't serve the narrative. It didn't do anything. And yeah, it was kind of nice to hear a couple people be like, boop, nope, not appropriate anymore. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I think one of my favorite numbers in the whole show was uh, Sunday Morning Coming Down. Um, which was actually written by Chris Christopherson, uh, but Johnny Cash uh, has become so synonymous with <laughs> with that song. Um, yeah, that was I think one of my highlights for um, you know the the set list uh, that that was played. Um, yeah, yeah, a couple of my those Sunday mornings, right after a late Saturday night. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know what that Sunday morning come down feels like. And actually, um, they pointed out in the show that "Ring of Fire," the the titular song, was also not written by Johnny Cash. It was written by June Carter. Um, so that was that was interesting. And they and they wrapped up with uh, um, a Shel Silverstein song, the the boy named Sue. <laughs> Fonda thought boy named Sue was a Doctor Hook song. Well, I thought it was Doc. I think Doctor Hook has covered it because they worked with Shel Silverstein a lot. But we digress. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, and and there were there were a lot of um, really interesting songs too. I think that um, that Quinn Dooley had just as the as the female character um, when they did. Um, which one was it? Jackson. Oh, yeah, right. Like Jackson, right before the intermission, you know, you have like a good big number that everybody knows. And that was that was a that was a fantastic one, too. Um, and also flush from the bathroom of your heart. That one. Uh, <laughs> oh, that she one, was another, so great. funny. Yeah, 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 that that was also also a highlight. Yeah. 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 Well, so, well, that was Ring of Fire at the Citadel. Um, how do you feel about this play as like, you know, summer programming? I think it's pretty fun summer fair. Um, I don't think it was quite uh, earned its two standing ovations at the end of the show. That was a little ridiculous. Hey, Edmonton. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was a lot of fun. And if you like Johnny Cash uh, and you kind of just want to turn your brain off for a while and just immerse yourself in uh, some really nice singing and country music, uh yeah, go check it out. Yeah, yeah. Great performances. All right, well, thanks for joining me, Andrew, on on a whim there. <laughs> Anytime, Fonda. Plenty of people dream of starting a successful band with their friends, but actually achieving that is another matter entirely. 
For Edmonton band Altamida, making music full-time was their goal. Thankfully, they discovered ATB's Branch for Arts and Culture. Designed by artists for artists, the Branch for Arts and Culture caters to the unique needs of people who work in the creative industries. With their help, Altamida has been making great music together and getting banking support. To see their full story, visit atb.com slash A-L-T-A-M-E-D-A. Cool. All right. Well, we were going to use this segment to talk about um, what's been happening with you and your experience at the Toronto Fringe. Yeah, that's why I was in Toronto sweating. Um, in the big old city. In the big old smog. Um, there wasn't that much smog. Uh, it was a, yeah, it was a fun. It was a different sort of fringe. I've never been to the Toronto Fringe before, I should preface. Oh. Um, as either a patron or a um, performer. And so this was like the first time I really got to get the, the lay of the land, so to speak. Cool. Well, can you maybe just give us a little bit of about about um, uh, what type of show you were doing, sure. where you were set up? Mm -hmm. uh, I started. I I was there doing a show, uh, a solo sketch show by myself um, at a place called Crow's Theater, um, which was uh, is an actual um, lovely sort of theater facility um, on Carla Avenue. For those of you in the Toronto area, <laughs> um, beautiful's got two sort of spaces within it. Had its own bar. Um, yeah, and I think. Um, uh, I haven't done that much fringe touring. I've been to a couple other fringes other than Edmonton. And one thing that struck me about Toronto, um, partly because of where I was, but also in, in general, is it's a pretty um, spread out fringe. The venues themselves uh, aren't as centralized as they are in Winnipeg or Edmonton uh, or Vancouver. Um, yeah, there there is a patio. It's funny, most of the advertising around town for the Toronto Fringe was, in fact, for the patio. Because <laughs> um, they set up in sort of like a community hockey rink and just sort of they play music and there's lots of like things to do and they have food and booze, of course. But um, So there but, is sort of like a central hub like there is kind of in the Edmonton Fringe, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, even from that central hub, I feel like it's a bit more of a jaunt to get to most most venues, even the ones that are, are in that area. Mm -hmm. But it was centered there. And most of the posters were about that. You would be forgiven for seeing this poster and thinking they were just had... Uh, a, an outdoor patio had an extravagant uh, budget for advertising <laughs> rather than it being part of a theater festival. Right. Um, so what about the scale? Um, sort of, do you know, kind of have an idea how many shows they had compared to Edmonton's apparently now 260 oh shows God. in that's, this year's Fringe? That's so many shows. Um, yeah, this one, um, it's big, but not that big. It was about 150 shows, I believe. Um, yeah, and so... Uh, one thing that strikes me is, yeah, there, um, as we sort of think about this fringe that's coming up and think about reviews and criticism and what that looks like, um, they still have now, is sort of their alt weekly, still exists, um, and now covered most things. Um, there's also a couple sort of prominent theater blogs, uh, Mooney on Theater um, and My Entertainment World, uh, sort of review quite a, quite a few things that have, have some clout there. Um, but one thing um, about criticism that uh, is interesting there is um, as a participant in the fringe you get a lot of mail uh, one of the pieces of mail I got from the fringe was that uh, the option of opting out of reviews oh. um, which uh, is interesting to think about as a fringe artist because uh, especially uh, in, in my particular case I was coming from outside no one really knew me um, I would want a review um, to help sort of promote my show um, but it's interesting to think about, and there were two, as far as I could tell, there were two productions that chose not to be reviewed. Oh. And so in the list of reviews on, on the various websites of reviewing, uh, that would just have a little asterisk next to its name and be like, you know what? 
they opted not to be reviewed. Oh, so they do sort of note that, say, this show has said no, no mm-hmm. reviews. Yeah, oh. so now had a big list of all the shows, and then as they were being reviewed, they'd be filled in. And they didn't review everything. They didn't get to everything. Um, but there were a couple that had that little asterisk that was like, we didn't we didn't want to review. Oh. Did you have a chance to talk to either of those shows or even, um, you know, maybe th- see how attendance might have affected them? I did not, unfortunately. Um, I tried to, but I did not. Um, But the things that seemed to come up when I discussed this with other artists were the idea of if something is very still in its workshoppy stages, and maybe you have bolder plans for this than the Toronto Fringe. Maybe you're looking to develop this for a a main stage or whatever. Or even if you're just like, we want to try this thing, we don't know how it's going to go, and we know it's going to be a bit of a hot mess, but we think it's worth getting on its feet in front of an audience. Um, so let's do that. However, it's not ready for that critical voice, which is an interesting mm-hmm. sort of thing to think about because the fringe often is about new work and developing new work. True, um, yeah. And so it's interesting to think about purely opting out. And yeah, I, I'm fascinated to think about um, how that affected houses because these shows were still postering, there was still advertising for them everywhere. But, mm-hmm. but uh, no. did it make you want to see the show? <laughs> a little bit. It made me wonder why. It made me be like. <laughs> What, what's, what, what could possibly be? Yeah, I, mean, I feel like I'm peeping beyond some forbidden veil to be like, who, you know, who the reviewers can't cross here or, or can't write about what they see. Interesting. Um, well, and it's also interesting because um, reviewing isn't really always done by out, like official outlets anymore. Mm-hmm. Like anyone can kind of see a show and post something on Facebook or whatever, wherever they, they think, you know. Right. So um, it's not like they could never really have any... Thoughts shared about the show, I guess. Yeah, like lots of people, you know, every every fringe has its hashtag, which is sort of like click on it and see who's talking about what. And some of it's artists promoting themselves, but some of it is just patrons being like, here's what I, I'm going to start this thread of all the shows I see and I'm just going to talk about the ones I like or I'm going to talk about everything come what may. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, yeah, it's... It's interesting. It was I've never seen that option in a bun- in the different fringes I've I've been to. Um, never has the fringe itself offered that, and um, uh, I've never I've never considered that as an option at the fringe. Yeah, that is interesting. I went. Oh well, I mean, I know that sometimes when there's like super limited seating or anything like that, mm-hmm. you just kind of opt out of reviewing because you're like, well, no, someone should pay for a seat instead of me having it. But right, that's interesting. You also, while you were there, you sent me an interesting article um, on a show. I think it was called The Huns. Yeah. That was kind of an interesting circumstance, which is unique to the fringe and to fringes now. Maybe uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So um, it's a it's a show that was featuring sort of, um, maybe I'll start with the review. The review talked about, it was like, off the get-go, the show gets an A on their like A plus two. Their like grade school system of like A to F was how they rated shows on this this website. Um, but it was like, this is an A. It's a it's an amazing show, blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, let's talk about why this is at the fringe to begin with. Like the caliber is so high um, across the board. It was, you know, uh, an, uh, a director who was an artistic associate of the theater was directing this show, and the cast had all been Dora nominated, I think, so the Theater Awards in Toronto. So it was like a high caliber cast. It was a, a playwright who was sort of, you know, had really started to carve a name for themselves. They were doing this piece. It felt, for me, it felt like, oh, it's like when one of the professional theater companies in Edmonton does a fringe show. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like, right, the caliber and the standard is just sort of up here where fringe is often seen as like, yeah, it's a bit of a grab bag and like even the best fringe shows really maybe in a main stage wouldn't appear as good as they do. But it's sort of like we're all aware when we're seeing fringe shows of the constraints of the fringe, mm-hmm. that there's certain limitations on tech and 
and how much time and, and how much money is being given to these these shows versus a professional show. And so the review was mostly talking about how uh, why are these um, why is this show happening here instead of in a main stage? Like it wasn't being like how dare you take over the fringe with your good art. <laughs> um, it was more like how um, how. Where, why aren't these people also being given opportunities in main stages? Why isn't this programmed in a season next year, this show that is great and, you know, above sort of in its own in a category of Fringe show because it's basically a professional production being done at the Fringe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, yeah, that was an interesting thing to think about as well of like where we're so used to fringing now and Fringe is such a anyone can get in, which is part of the joy of it, but also it sometimes becomes this thing where if you're you're a great artist, you're a team of great artists. You put together a great team, um, but you still can't crack into like that main season, um, or there aren't being mm-hmm. grants or opportunities given, uh, or finances given, or or support given to to see these in in the place where it's like, oh, they should be. I think one of the lines in the review was like, all of these people should be too busy working to be doing a fringe show. Like they should mm-hmm. be giving being given all of these opportunities on their their caliber, but. They're they're not um, seeing those uh, frequently enough, and so they're here, which is great. Like power to a you know, uh, the show got like best of fringe in its venue or best of pick and won a bunch of awards, and uh, is great. But it's like great, and now that it's done that, what is the future of this? Why isn't it sort of why isn't its trajectory onward and upward? Yeah, it's interesting because well, with the Edmonton Fringe, we have the we have so many BYOVs and everything like mm-hmm. that. That of course anyone can anyone who really wants to can do a show somewhere Mm -hmm. um but also you do have professional companies mounting full-scale productions teatro la quindicina has a fringe show as part of their season right there's they're they're like spring to fall season yeah yeah so you know it that is interesting i think i and you you don't want to put any rules on the fringe i Mm -hmm. guess but just um yeah there's there's sort of like who where are these, you know, like big guns are coming into and the, like maybe kind of distracting from the little guy where mm-hmm. you may they may not have the advertising um, or, you know, like the the resources to get their word out there. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of getting the word out there for a fringe show, mm-hmm. um, what was what was flyering like? How did you how did Ooh. you get out there for your your show at, in Toronto? It was because my venue was so far away. It was tricky. Like I did some postering in the main area, but um, I didn't really do much hand billing in the main zone because, from talking with some of the other artists in my venue, it was like you would start to say your spiel and then you would say where you were, and people would be like, "Oh, you're in the far one." Like that's what it was known yeah. as, mm-hmm. and so you could see like no one was doing it. Um, so there was I, I tried to advertise in the area. Like I think. Mm-hmm. This was the first time this spot has been a fringe venue. And I think they're hoping, sort of like La Cité Francophone in, in Edmonton, uh, they keep using it and it becomes its own little fringe hub. Where yeah. It's like you spend mm-hmm. the day there and, and uh, people will make a day of their fringing happen there and see a bunch of stuff and mm-hmm. and all of that sort of thing. And so I was trying to also poster in that area just to that community and in the you know the, the restaurants and coffee houses sort of in that area. Um, yeah, but it because in my particular case, it was so far away, it seemed tricky on how to like without something like reviews um, to get the word out or get people convince people to take the chance to come east of the Don Valley Parkway. <laughs> oh my um, god, to, that is far. Well, there yeah. you go. There yeah. you go. I don't even know Toronto that well, and I'm like, holy crap. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that is interesting though, because that it it kind of also even affects the way that I might schedule how I review shows. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you know that you can't get to La Cité 
in less than 20 minutes. Right. If you're on foot or, mm-hmm. you know, bike or even or whatever. So you have to, yeah, you have to sort of schedule in those distances between venues. And mm-hmm. it, that's that's something that as the Fringe evolves to so many more other venues um, that I think, I wonder, you know, I think there was a shuttle last year. They, they've had a shuttle. They've had one from the main grounds to La Cité where yeah. it's like every hour, yeah. every half hour, they sort of truck along right. to help with that, that <laughs> getting you over to that zone. Yeah, yeah, because people need to get there. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and so what were the outlets that were actually running reviews? Like the main ones I know now is still around. They mm-hmm. must have been doing something. I feel like now now did a bunch. Uh, now did probably about 100 reviews, um, maybe maybe a little more than that. Uh, Mooney on Theater was sort of the resource that reviewed everything. So it's a blog, but it's a pretty well-established Toronto theater blog that mm-hmm. has a, uh, a staff of, of multiple people and an editorial hierarchy and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so they were the ones who were like, yep, we're seeing everything, um, except the things that didn't want to be reviewed. Right. Um, and those two things. Those two <laughs> things. What was up? Um, yeah, they were the big ones. And then it seemed a lot of word of mouth, um, mm-hmm. a couple other blogs um, and, and websites, and then just like what what people were talking about. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, um, how did you did you see anything or hear about anything that might be headed our way for the Edmonton Fringe oh, that you want to flag? Yeah, um, yeah. There were um, the one that I know is touring that's coming here is called Destiny USA. Um, it is a one woman show about someone who moves to America. A true story. Uh, this person moves to America and um, she becomes a relay operator for the deaf and hard of hearing. So she helps the deaf and hard of hearing make phone calls and sort of how this. Um, and in that role, you're supposed to say verbatim what you're, the person on the other line is saying. Um, and so it was a fascinating look into sort of these people who are often left behind and, and marginalized and uh, pushed to the sides of society um, and, and being a resource for them and what you learn and what you sort of gain um, and the insight you see from, from being part of that. Uh, so that was, uh, yeah, that was a fascinating, uh, wonderful show. Cool. Um, I don't think this one's touring, but there was a, a clown show I quite liked called uh, Inside Ethel Outside. <laughs> or sorry, Outside Ethel Inside. Um, uh, an older performer. It was directed by John Turner, part of Mump and mm-hmm. Smoot. Um, and yeah, it was um, kind of a, a dramedy, I guess. So for a clown show, it had maybe a little um, a little more heft to its um its premise of this sort of older older character, Ethel, who doesn't leave the house very much and is trying to build up the courage to leave the house. <laughs> and sort of how, how Ethel goes about doing that and, and some of the reasons you see or learn sort of why Ethel hasn't been doing that. Cool. Was, was, yeah, it was really nice, well told. Um, uh, Fox Woman was a flamenco show by a company um, from Victoria. I, I know it's in Winnipeg. I don't know if it's coming to Edmonton. Oh, I love flamenco. I yeah. hope it does. Yeah, um, this sort of like um, Siberian myth about the fox woman, and they sort of tell this myth, and then they sort of tell it through dance, and it's just like classical guitar and partly improvised flamenco, both of those things partly improvised, and it's just, just cooking. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then uh, the Huns was very good. I did see the Huns. Um, mm-hmm. That's not touring, but um, yeah. So uh, it was fun. It was a cool. Uh, it's always cool to see how a different city will do a fringe. Uh, and there was a lot of fun. They had great food in their their beer tent or their their patio. They actually had like a sort of a pop up cafe basically from this um, this place, and so it had a bunch of different things every night. Loved it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I don't know if you want to answer this on the podcast. 
Did you make any money at the French Paul? I did not. Okay. <laughs> um, as is as is the double whammy of being an artist who nobody knows. Um, first time in that city and being very far away of everything. I got some good reviews. You did. You I did. did. You got four N's in now. Four N's in now. They don't use stars. They use N's. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other one was like really nice too. And then, uh, you know, still nobody came. <laughs> Cool. All right. Are you doing your show in Edmonton? I am. Great. We can worry about that later. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. Yeah. All right. Well, how about how about we do uh, our our next ad? Great. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company co-working space located in the historic McKinney Building in downtown Edmonton and is focused on helping people pursue their passions. Join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations all dedicated to getting things done. Along with desks and offices, Unit B offers members access to its podcasting studio, meeting spaces, kitchen, Wi-Fi, and the usual office amenities. Book a tour today at unitb.ca. Great. Great. Well, Fonda, it's, you know, we're in that sort of gap where the fringe is coming up, and so there isn't that much going on. But but what is happening? What are our listings? Yeah. Um, well, happening until August 4th still, you can enjoy the air conditioning at the Mayfield Dinner Theater with Sleuth. Cool. <laughs> Um, until August 11th, Ring of Fire, the music of Johnny Cash is playing at the Citadel Theater. And running from August 1st through 17th um, in multiple locations throughout Alberta um, is a roving production of Bizet's Carmen by Mercury Opera. Um, they're presenting in, um, I know, in Wayne, Alberta, as well as in Calgary. But in Edmonton, they're uh, running Act 1 at the Commodore and Act 2 at Chez Pierre. Oh, my God. So um, it's, it runs on a bunch of different types of dates. It's not really a straight run so you can go to mercuryopera.com to um, find the, the play times for that great well um, thanks Fonda yeah thanks Paul thanks for all of your enlightening enlightening Toronto stories great are you ready to fringe here <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm building up the stamina I've started jogging great great you'll need it <laughs> all we right. all need it go see some shows bye I Don't Get It is produced by Paul Blinov, Fonda Mithrash, and Andrew Paul. It was recorded at the Edmonton Community Foundation in beautiful Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Our website is idontgetityeg.com. Our Twitter is at idontgetityeg. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes and support us through Patreon. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Check out more of Ghibli's music at ghibli.bandcamp.com. Sit here thinking...